Have you ever felt trapped in a high-paying job, chained to a life that's slowly slipping away? Day after day, the same routine, the same unfulfilling work, and the constant longing for something more? If you're nodding your head right now, feeling that weight on your shoulders, then this is the podcast you've been waiting for. Welcome to the W2 Prison Break Show. I'm Brian O'Neill, and I'm here to tell you that you're not alone. I've been in that prison too, sacrificing precious moments with my family, feeling the regret and resentment build up inside. But guess what? There is a way out, and together we're going to break free. Each episode, we'll dive deep into the stories of incredible individuals who have successfully made their escape, who have turned their dreams into reality, and who now live lives filled with purpose, joy, and abundance. But we won't stop at inspiration alone. We'll equip you with the tools, strategies, and mindset shifts needed to break through the barriers that have held you back for far too long. Together, we'll ignite your entrepreneurial spirit and unleash the business genius within you. It's time to take action, to shatter the chains that bind you, and to embrace a future filled with unlimited possibilities. The W2 Prison Break Show is your key to unlock the door to a life of purpose, fulfillment, and success. I invite you to join me on this transformative journey. Subscribe now to the W2 Prison Break Show and let's embark together on the path to freedom. Remember, it's never too late to break free and live the life you've always dreamed of. Hey everyone, welcome back to the W2 Prison Break Show. I've got a repeat guest on today. His name's Mark Willis. He was on episode two of the W2 Prison Break Show. It was so good we're bringing him back because what he has to talk about today is very relevant to the economy right now. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of talk, a lot of headlines, a lot of negativity, layoffs, inflation, interest rates. Is the housing market going to crash? I don't know. Banking banking crashes, like bank runs, all this stuff we're going to talk about today and some of the things that you can do to protect your money or to put your money in the right places so that you can have control over your money and not have to rely on other people. Then we're going to give you some practical steps as to how you can use the tool that we're going to talk about today to pay off debt to pay off your mortgage, to pay off your student loans, to invest in whatever you want and still have an asset at the end. Do not miss this one. Stay tuned to the end. Mark, welcome back to the W2 Prison Break Show. It's great to see you. Hey, so glad to be on, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And you were on episode number two of the two, one, two folks of the W2 Prison Break Show It's been over a year and we had to have him back because the first episode, I was actually re-listening to that one. You were talking about how to buy back your debt and use it to pay off student loans. It was all this cool stuff. There was a lot of great feedback from that episode, but we're having you back today because there's, you know, we're here recording this at the end of June, 2023, and there's some stuff happening in the world and we want to get your insight. You know, I think that probably the best place to start is, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is we've seen recently a lot of bank failures. And I'm just going to leave it at that and let you, I want to get your insight on that. Like, why is this happening? What does it mean? And what are we supposed to do? Well, yeah, you're exactly right. We are in unprecedented times. And I keep thinking that we're going to be in precedented times again, but it keeps being unprecedented. We are living in times that we've never seen in these, at least in my lifetime ever before. And I did some reading before this recording and research. Now, in the springtime, 
Banks were very much in the headlines. Silicon Valley Bank went belly up, Signature Bank. There were several others that went belly up and they got gobbled up by mega banks. And since then, it's been pretty quiet on the Western front. You know, there's not been a lot of headlines. They've left the headlines and at least the mega, you know, problems with banks have sort of subsided. But my question is, did they really fix the problem? Did we fix the banks this spring? Is it all hunky-dory over there in bank land? So I did some research on this and let's get some stats out on the table here. Yep. Federally insured banks across the country have about 18 to 20 trillion dollars in assets. 18 to 20 trillion. And almost half of those assets are uninsured, meaning there's no FDIC insurance on half of the bank assets, meaning half of all deposits are over a quarter million dollars. Now a lot of people are like, "Wow, how could you have more than a quarter million dollars in your bank account?" Well, you know, as a business owner, you're actually going to get there pretty quick if you have a reasonably successful business to be operating your business. You might need at least a quarter million just to operate your business each week, each month, and so forth. This coverage of FDIC limiting the coverage to 250,000 means there's another half of all deposits that are, you know, not insured. And Janet Yellen earlier in the year assured folks that she would decide, she and her team would decide if the bank that was going belly up was systemically important as to whether or not depositors would be made whole. Now, if you remember, they were very clear. They said, this is not a taxpayer bailout, not a taxpayer bailout. And I guess that's technically true. We didn't actually have to pay from the treasury to cover these banks. Mm -hmm. But what's happened? Well, FDIC, it's an insurance corporation. It came out of the Great Depression. And generally speaking, they keep only about 1% of all bank deposits on reserve, just 1%. So what does any of this mean for the likes of you and me? It means if more than 1% of all banks went belly up, then there is no reserve. There is no FDIC. There is no you know money to make us whole. And when they covered all the big depositors earlier this spring, when Janet Yellen and team you know, gave all the money to the big business owner, Silicon Valley, you know, tech executives who had all their deposits made whole, that cleaned out FDIC. There's not much left in reserve at FDIC. There is no insurance, basically. That's what I'm saying. So should there be another bank failure now, where's the money going to come from? And also, as you might remember, banks have to pay money to be a member of FDIC. It's like they pay a premium. It's They pay an insurance, actually, an insurance premium to be a member of FDIC. So as the FDIC is basically an empty tank right now, banks are having to shovel a lot more money in. They've raised the premium on banks yep. to kind of fill in the coffers, as it were. Hmm. And so whose money is going to the FDIC? Is it the bank's money? Of course not. They don't actually keep any of their own money at the in the vault. Where does all that money come from? Well, it comes from depositors. It comes in the form of lower interest rates on our savings and higher interest rates on all of our credit cards and auto loans. And so that's been happening. Our credit cards are up to 24% on average across the country right now, 24%. I just saw a home equity line of credit at 12%. Yeah. And mortgages, as you know, are, you know, whatever, six plus percent, seven sometimes. So, yeah. you know, all this is to mean. We have about 10 mega banks and about 4,200 banks altogether across the country. So a lot of people are wondering, well, what do we do now and what's coming next? And is this the end? And I don't know, maybe I'd say this is just a prelude. What are your thoughts? 
Yeah. I mean, great data. First of all, I was kind of nervous about the 1%. If 1% fail, then, you know, so I guess maybe you've done this math already. I don't have to, but what does that look like? The 1%? I mean, if there's another bank run, I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I heard some of these banks going down, I was like, well, do I need to take my money out of the bank? Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm telling the world right now, I took money off the table because I Mm -hmm. was freaked out. I didn't know what was going to happen. Right. So Maybe you have some thoughts around those two points, especially the bank run piece, because if it happens again, who the heck knows what? Because you could see yeah. that they were trying to prevent that from happening. That was yeah. very obvious, right? So yeah. I don't know if you have some thoughts there. I was freaked out. I took money off the table. Well, that's fair. I think that's totally fine. Why are we in this problem? And then yeah. you know, one more piece of data, I guess. I was looking to banks are allowed to price their book as book value. Rather than market value. Now, what's the difference? Well, think of it like a kid, right? Like I buy a video game and I use it a bunch and I beat it up a bunch and it kind of has some scratches and dents on it. I can't sell that video game for the same price that I might have bought it for new. I've got to basically got to discount that thing to sell it to some other kid, right? So that's the market value of that video game after it's been used up some. Brand new, it's the book value. It's whatever, you know, the book value is whatever the used price is. The market value is whatever you could pay for on the open market today. And what I'm saying is that most banks are pricing their the valuation of their business, their bank, according to what they bought their asset for, the brand new video game. Even though a lot of their bonds, their treasuries are half spent, they're still pricing it like they just bought it yesterday. If you were to price everything in real terms, like where things are today, the real actual market price for all of their assets, then about half of all banks, half of the 4,200 banks in this country are insolvent. If you just reprice their assets according to what they're actually able to sell them for on the open market today, that means, and I'm not just pulling on my tinfoil hat here, Brian, that means half of all banks are in the red. They're insolvent. That to me, is terrifying because again, if 1% of banks were to fail, no more FDIC. That's in good times when the FDIC is full. So yeah. that's where we stand today. Now, your question was very pertinent, which is, you know, they're trying to prevent more of these big failures from happening. And I get it. I think who the heck knows what's going to happen by the time we air this episode or what's going to happen this fall. A lot of fun things start to happen in the financial industry in the fall. Look at, you know, Black Monday, look at, you know, 1929, look at 2008 with Lehman Brothers. So, you know, I think there are some big problems in the bank sector, but we can even go past that to the shadow banking sector. And shadow banking, it's not some nefarious like group of sinister villains or anything like that. It's, It's just stuff that is not a bank that still does banking, like pension funds, mutual funds, peer-to-peer lending platforms, high-risk hedge funds. These are all organizations that are not technically banks that lend money. They still lend money. And their total value at the most recent research I could find was, and get this, Brian, this is earth shattering. They have assets totaling $239 trillion in the shadow banking sector. That's half of the entire world's entire net worth, $239 trillion. And there's no insurance on that block of business there. So that to me spells, we've got to find a better way to handle this banking project And I would just say, and I'll hush after this, where is it written that this is supposed to be the way we do this thing called money? Mm. 
why do we have to have these regular reoccurring crises? I mean, 2008, financial crisis. 1997, Asian financial crisis. 1980s, savings and loans crisis. You know, Britain Woods collapse in 1971. The Great Depression in 1929. It just seems to keep happening over and over again. And more frequently too, as we come to these kind of last days, you might say, I would say, you know, is there a better way to do banking? Banking is going to keep happening. Money and banking is central to the human experience. Mm -hmm. There's a really great book out there for folks that like to read about this sort of thing. There's a history book. uh, It's called Debt, The First 5,000 Years by David Graeber. Great, weird little title, scary little title, but it's a great book on the topic of banking and just how it's really core to who we are as humans. You know, For 5,000 years, we've been doing this thing called debt. So wow. anyway, just think of how much pain that word has caused people, you know, how many suicides, how many divorces, how many, you know, stressful nights has that four-letter word debt, but also how much wealth has it created for the people who really understood how it works? You know, debt works in both ways. You know, it's your debt. My debt is somebody else's asset, right? So anyway, I don't have an answer except as far as how to fix what we have, the current system. My only answer is how can we maybe opt out of that system and create something fresh and sane rather than insane? Let's make it sane for us to live a life that we can actually feel confident in and feel in control of. Yes, I love that. Okay. And we're going to get to that in a minute, Mark. And just a couple of points have resonated with me that I want to drive home is regular and reoccurring, you said, which is absolutely true. And we were talking a little bit about this offline. And I said that, you know, I had mentioned to you, I don't know if you agree or not, in times like these where, you know, we have all of these headlines and layoffs and inflation and interest rates and bank failures, and maybe there's a housing crash, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. People typically are in one of three categories. And that is they're panicking, right? Mm -hmm. As evidenced by the bank runs. And then there are people who are in straight denial. I'm a real estate investor. I have people that tell me all day long, low inventory. And I'm going to sell my house, no problem. Like, well, good luck getting somebody to get in a bar that will loan you money to buy the house at these rates and how how Mm -hmm. it's tightening. And then the third is action, people who will take action. I mean, there's opportunities when things like this happen, right? And the people who take action usually... History, but the people that took action in 08, you know, they're doing pretty good right about now, right? That's right. So I guess what is it that we would do you agree with that? So maybe you have some ads there. And then what is it that we can do, as you say, fresh and sane banking system? Mm, yeah. I totally agree with you on the, you know, panic or denial. You know, let's just go back to fundamentals. Let's just do this thing the old-fashioned way. You know, let's or let's escape and let's just fly to you know Greece or something and live out you know the crisis over there. I see it all, man. I know what you mean. And you're right about people who are in denial. I think it's going to be really hard to find buyers when rates are double what their current house is at, or even more than double what their current house is at. So yes, I agree with you. And I think there's also the taking action group. I think you know we want to know truly what we want and what we want our future to look like. Mm. Someone once said that banking is sort of like the water that we all swim in. And the banker is the one who can control the temperature in the water. So I have this little betta fish, my daughter and I, we've kept it alive a full year now, man. It's pretty exciting. Um, Yeah. And we really control that little thing's life. You know, We get to feed it when we want to. We 
have the temperature at the setting we decided it was going to be at. You know, the lights go on, the filters turn on, all that stuff happens because we told it to. And we control his entire little world there mm-hmm. in that little bowl, fishbowl. And I just get this sense that a lot of people feel like they're a fish in the bank's water. And maybe they are really controlled by the levers and the pulleys. And that's too bad because you end up losing a lot of agency in your life and you lose a lot of hope and you become a lot more depressed. You know, that there's, I think there's a related reason why people are increasingly anxious, stressed, angry. You know, there's a sense of lack of control. If you just feel like you're a little fishy in somebody else's bowl, that's only going to provide fodder for, you know, bad decisions and stress and, you know, poor health habits and all that stuff. So, yeah, I think there's some big stuff we can do there. And there are reasons to believe we have hope here. Again, like I said, where is it written that we have to follow lockstep in this banking system that's been given to us? You know, I feel like many people I speak with as a certified financial planner, when I have a one-on-one advisory consultation with clients, right? It's sort of like they feel like they've walked into some sort of a movie 45 minutes into the plot. And they're like, okay, who are all the characters here? And what's going on? And I don't understand what that guy's doing. Why did he punch that dude? And why did she kiss him? And all this, they don't understand the plot because we walked into the movie 45 minutes late. I've done that before, by the way, plenty of times, but it's true in money's in the life of money and banking. Mm -hmm. We don't know who the federal chairman is and this banking committee that, and who's Jamie Diamond who, and why is he saying these things online and on the news and whatever? I think it's important for us to really figure out who the players are. It's like that William Shakespeare quote, you know, all the world is a stage and we're just actors or characters upon the stage. So when you decide for yourself, hey, you know what? I don't have to play along on their stage, but I can slowly or significantly create my own platform, create my own fishbowl, insource my banking function rather than outsourcing it to these bozos and banksters that are running the world. You can really take back control of your financial future. You can actually feel like you're, you know, moving upstream. You're doing things according to your own wishes rather than according to some bankster's wishes. Bozos and banksters, that should be a bumper sticker, probably. (laughs) That's right, man. (laughs) Maybe it already is for Uh you. (laughs) Hey, we could do that. We could wrap the car in that, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Got to ask the wife about that, but yeah. (laughs) Hey there, back to the episode in just a moment. Are you a homeowner in the Chicagoland area who's struggling to sell your home or even own nothing and looking to maximize your price before the market slides? Are you tired of the traditional home selling process that takes months and costs you thousands in fees and repairs? Whether you're facing foreclosure, going through a divorce, or simply need to sell your home fast, WeBuyHousesChicago.org can help. We've been buying homes in Chicago since 2019, and we specialize in helping sellers who are stuck. Unlike traditional real estate buyers, we buy homes as is and can close in as little as seven days. No repairs, no inspections, and no fees. Just a fast, hassle-free sale. Let WeBuyHousesChicago.org help you sell your home and move on to the next phase of your life. Call or text us today at 312-500-6121. If you know someone who is struggling to sell their home or simply just wants top price, please share this message with them. As a listener of the W2 Prison Break Show, 
webuyhouseofchicago.org will pay you for your referral. If you send us a referral and we buy their house, we will pay you a $1,000 referral fee. Simply have your referral mention the W2 Prison Break Show. Let's get back to the show. All right. So you keep referring to this creating your own fishbowl, right? And what we're about to talk about, bank on yourself is, you know, some people have heard of it. Some people have not heard about it. We're going to be talking a little bit about insurance. So don't go to sleep, folks, because this is not what you think it is. Mm -hmm. And this is the way to create your own fishbowl, right? And Mark's going to talk, we're going to talk about it right now. I have two of what he's referring to, what he's about to refer to. And I know many people who have them. And this is a way for you to take control of your money, be your own bank. So I'll shut up now. and No, that's good, man. Let you do it. I'd rather hear it from you because, you know, I think the coolest thing is all the infinite applications we can make when we become our own source of financing. Mm-hmm. And I'll just say, it shocked me, again, as a CFP certified financial planner, that of all things, life insurance could have this much to say about the relevant parts of our financial life. Like, okay, fine. Life insurance. Great. Check. You know, I'm an adult now. I'm going to get some life insurance and die and give it to my family someday. Great. Right. Check. No, there's other forms of life insurance, notably dividend paying whole life insurance that has some additional components to it that help you, in essence, act like a banker for yourself. It has a cash value. That's sort of like liquid equity in your policy. Folks know what a, you know equity in their home is, yeah. where they know that they can get access to savings in their savings account. This is sort of like that in some ways. You have a cash value that's liquid and accessible for any purpose. But unlike home equity, which can go up or down, or the stock market, which can go up or down, these policies grow every single year guaranteed. This gives you an increasing net worth every single year. Last year in 2022, the markets were down. We had the worst market year since 2008. S&P 500 was off like 20%. Other indices were off even more, 30, 35% lost. Met people who had 250 grand. I just talked to them this morning. They're in their 70s. And they had $250,000 in an IRA. Now they've got $100,000 in their IRA after last year. What does that do to somebody in their 70s to go from a quarter million to 100 grand? What does that do to their hope? What does that do to their health? So anyway, whole life insurance grows guaranteed. Every year you're hitting an all-time record high and it's liquid money. So you can access that money, put it to work in your business or for your family or whatever else you need. If it's designed properly, you can even get the money out tax-free. All right. And lastly, and I'll hush after this, get Mm -hmm. your feedback on this. When I use the policy, I can borrow against it. This is one of the neat features of how this can work like a bank. Again, it's not an FDIC insured bank, thank God, but it's like a bank. And so I can borrow against it Mm -hmm. and then repay that loan on my own terms. I get to decide if I'm going to repay it at all or a little bit at a time, or with large chunks, or whatever. It's my decision how I repay that loan. If I never repay the loan, it'll just get deducted from my death benefit when I pass away. And lastly, and this is the big aha moment for me, when I borrow against that policy, it will continue to grow as if there was no loan against the policy. So if I have, let's say I have $100,000 of cash value, Brian, and I borrow out $70,000 to go buy a real estate deal, my policy will continue to compound and grow on the entire 100,000 as if I hadn't touched a dime of the money. 
So to me, this gives us the chance to overcome that problem of opportunity cost. And it's where I typically make all of my major purchases or investments from. Okay. All right. I'm going to ask you about that. So usually I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Let's do it. I love it. The naysayer, right? Yeah. When it sounds too good to be true, it it usually is, right? I mean, you just reeled off a bunch of, wow, that's awesome. That sounds even better. And wait a second, hold on here. All right. So we have a cash value. Okay. So this is dividend whole paying life insurance. This is not Mm -hmm. term life insurance. As you said, you know, you got a million dollar policy. If you die, it goes to whoever your beneficiary is. That's really it, right? That's all it does. What you're saying here is that, hey, this policy has a cash value that you can borrow against. You don't have to ask anybody permission. You can do whatever you want with the money. It might be tax-free potentially. Am I correct mm-hmm. yeah, so far? Great, great stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You just use it for whatever you want. And then something you said, I'm going to ask you to explain it because you just talked about this whole banking system that you know FDIC and the failures and the collapses, and we don't know. You said it continues to go up every year. I don't know if you said it can't fail, but it sounds to me like you're saying it can't fail. So please explain to the audience, because I think that's (laughs) something they might be asking is, well, how is this any different from what the banks are doing? Well, that's a smart question. Why go from the frying pan into the fire? And I agree (laughs) with you. There is no such thing as a free lunch, except for the cheese on the wrong end of a mousetrap, Brian. So let's find out what the catch is on this whole life stuff. And I'll quickly add that what is it that banks are doing that's always getting them into trouble? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but in Silicon Valley Bank, we can talk details about theirs and the treasuries that they were purchasing and so forth. But the core problem, I would say, is something called fractional reserve banking. And you know, I can go into that a little bit. Would that be helpful if we spend like yes, a minute please. and a half on that? Okay. Yeah, I think that would be helpful. All right. So you have to explain it to us like we're maybe in like ninth grade, though. That's fine. All right. Cool. <laughs> I love it. So Let's say that, oh, ninth grade. Let's see. All right. So let's say, <laughs> let's say that you and I just went trick-or-treating <laughs> and you've got a hundred pieces of candy. All right. A hundred pieces of candy at the end of the night. And let's say that you decide to keep your hundred pieces of candy on deposit over at my house because you have a sister that eats all your candy. All right. So you gave me your candy. I promise to keep it safe. All right. And you're feeling good about that. Your hundred pieces of candy are safe. You go, you go to bed sleeping well at night. Well, Unbeknownst to you, I take your candy and I loan it out to the next guy. I leave 10 pieces of candy (laughs) on reserve, but I loan out the other 90 to the guy behind me. His job is to sell that candy and to make some profit on it while you wait, because you're not going to come get all your candy, right? You're just going to come maybe get a little bit here and there. That is fractional reserve banking. You deposit a hundred bucks at the bank. They're not going to keep a hundred dollars in the vault somewhere. No, they're going to loan your money out to the guy behind you in line. They're going to pay you zero point nothing percent interest. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to charge the guy behind you in line, the one who got the loan. They'll charge him 10%, 18%, 24%, whatever. And we call this an infinite return, by the way. And the problem is, what if all of us do that bank run that you mentioned earlier? If too many of us come collecting, well, that's what happened with Signature with Silicon Valley Bank. Mm Too many depositors came running when the interest rates rose, the bonds fell that were on the books at Silicon Valley, and then depositors got nervous, pulled their money out, and that collapsed the bank. Okay. So all that is to say life insurance companies are not allowed to do any of that tomfoolery. They must be fully reserved as opposed to fractionally reserved. And that's regularly audited by state insurance commissioners. 
and by third-party rating agencies like AM Best and Standard and & Poor and Fitch and so forth and the Comdex rating. So these guys are all looking at the books of these insurance companies to make sure that they can pay their claims. Remember, banks are in the business of selling debt. Life insurance companies are in the business of selling, you guessed it, life insurance. <laughs> yep. So their job is not to be a big old bank. Their job is to be a life insurance company. And then they have to keep the reserves in full. And actually more than your deposits have to be kept on reserve in case I died tonight. If my family finds out I'm slipping on life's banana peel, they're going to collect a giant death benefit from the insurance company. Maybe I've got, let's say I've got $50,000 in a policy. Mm-hmm. Let's say my death benefit is 300,000 bucks, for example. If I live, I can pull out 50 grand from my policy or borrow against it. But if I croak, if I you know slip on life's banana peel, then my family wouldn't get 50 grand. They'd get 300 grand. So the insurance company cannot just be loaning all this money out to Tom, Dick, and Harry. They need to keep that 300 grand ready to go in case I you know, go to the other side of the grass. So that is why insurance companies are literally 10 times safer than a bank, an FDIC insured bank. Now, could a life insurance company still fail? Yes, that's technically possible. But let's look at 2008. In 2008, over 400 banks went bankrupt and zero mutual life insurance companies went bankrupt that same year or the next year or the next year. Zero. And so that's a telling sign that if banks are going through their gyrations mm-hmm. and your money is safely set aside outside of their system, well, you've technically opted out with the vast majority of your money into something other than a banking project that only adds to the problem. Think about it. Every dollar I have in a checking account is adding to this problem that we're all hearing about on the news. Yeah. Okay. I'm convinced. I was already convinced, but I think the <laughs> listeners would be convinced now. And you did a great job of explaining it like a ninth grader. I mean, I don't know how many ninth graders are going trick-or-treating, but the candy thing Good made point. a lot of sense, yeah. <laughs> right? Okay. So this is really the big ask or the big question of you, and I know you, you're going to have an example. So how do we use the policy, Mark? Give us like a practical, real-life example, and I know you have many, of how we can use this to our advantage and become the bank, whether it's you know buying something or whatever it is. I know you know what I'm asking, so please tell us how we can make this work for us. Yeah, no problem. It's I think for a lot of folks, it's the parachute out of the W two. Mm. You know, think about that. If you had a hundred grand in liquid money, and it was just sitting there, or two hundred grand in liquid money, couldn't that help you transition out of the prison, so to speak, and give you that freedom pass? I know it's helped many of my clients. They've left their day jobs to pursue a career or entrepreneurial endeavor or a business or real estate investing or whatnot. So yeah, it does not happen overnight. That's the other catch, you might say. Mm-hmm. You know, there are insurance expenses. We try to cut those out as much as possible. Typically in the first year or two, you're going to have less than you put in there due to the cost of buying insurance. So it takes patience, it takes persistence. But you know, folks right away are able to use their policies. I'll give you an example. We just had somebody who had a lump sum come in from, actually, she had got it from a legal settlement, settlement she received. She also had about the same amount of money in student loan debt. It was a good chunk. It was several hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt. And the receipt of her windfall, the legal settlement was about the same. It's a little bit more than the debt. 
So she, you know, typically the typical thinking process would be to take the sum of money you got from the legal settlement and pay off all my debts, right? Pay off all my student loans. Well, how'd we do there? Well, we ended up basically just washing everything clean. We're back to zero. We feel great because the debt is gone, but we have this empty feeling in our stomach and in our bank account because we just spent this really important, and for her, it was an emotionally important lump sum of money that she got that settlement from the courts and everything. She did not want to lose the capacity to grow that money for her future self and for her family and more. So what if we use the policy, a bank on yourself designed whole life policy, it must be designed the right way for this to really work. Mm -hmm. She dumped in that money as a lump sum, one single payment, couple hundred grand went into the policy. And then she immediately borrowed that money out. We're talking within about a week or two of the check clearing and has paid off all of her student loan debt. Now she's free of the debt to any other banker but herself. She bought her debt back from the banksters. She is better than debt-free, better than debt-free because she still has the asset. The whole life insurance policy still grows compounding as if she had not paid off all that debt. I cannot tell you how, I mean, just imagine how that feels, how emotionally rewarding it is, how devastating it would be for her to have just paid off the debt and then just lost this important court settlement she had received. Mm-hmm. But how cool it was for her to still be done with the student loan mess and still have that money earning for her in her policy. Now, some might say, hey, Mark, but wait, now she has this big monster loan on her life insurance. What are you doing with that? Well, remember, the policy still grows, and now you're in control of repaying that loan. You control the dials on your own fishbowl now. So she's going to repay that loan to herself or to her policy. Over a reasonable period of time, it might take her five years, 20 years, I don't know. But over time, she'll be able to wipe that clean and that money will be free and available for the house down payment she wants to get someday, sending the kids to college for herself someday, you know, and ultimately it's family inheritance as well. Yeah, that's a great example. You did exactly what I wanted you to do. So appreciate that. And then you have the death benefit of the policy, right? So Mm -hmm. because you said the word asset, it's like this is an asset in more mm-hmm. ways than one. So I just, yeah. I love that you brought that up. And I'm sure you have many more examples. We could probably go on for the rest of the, you oh, know, yeah. the, totally. the rest I mean, of the week here. We've had folks, all sorts of stuff. I mean, paying off your mortgage again. How do you do that? In, yeah. How do you do that? It's so fun. I had a guy one time, just actually it was about two or three months ago. He said, all right, Mark, I've got enough of my policy. I want to wipe out my mortgage. Mm-hmm. So he requested the loan. It basically took about three to five minutes to go online and push a few buttons. And about a week later, the money's dropped into his bank account. He Mm -hmm. uses that money then to pay off the mortgage, write a check, pay off the mortgage. He sends me a picture a few days later of a fire pit and all this paper inside the fire pit. And I'm looking carefully and, oh, that's his mortgage. (laughs) (laughs) He he, he threw his mortgage in the fire pit. (laughs) Love it. I just love the freedom that comes when you have the control. You know, we're using banks still. I mean, I still use a checking account for my groceries and stuff. And I have a mortgage on my house because it's still the low interest mortgage. I could pay it off tomorrow if I wanted to with my policies, but I like the freedom to use the banks for my convenience rather than the bank using me for their convenience. And I'll just say this very quickly, and I'll be brief about this, but I was digging in this last year. and Well, actually, the last year I have data, which is 2019, 
four banks, just four little banks, purchased $54 billion of cash value life insurance. So banks are some of the biggest purchasers of these tools. So what do they know that we forgot? We're never taught. You know, it increases the bank stability. They have to buy it according to FDIC guidelines. Mm-hmm. They must buy a certain amount of cash value life insurance as their tier one capital. That's their safest money. So it increases the bank stability. It decreases their taxes. It increases their capital without any unnecessary risks. And it's a great way to ensure their longevity because the executives are the insured. So when Jamie Dimon, hopefully he lives a long time for his sake, I guess. But when he passes away, that's going to be a giant windfall to Chase Bank. You know, These are the sorts of things that banks think about. We should be thinking like, like a bank. There's a saying somewhere, I've heard it many times, do what the banks do, and That's uh, right. why aren't we doing it? So, That's it. okay. Yeah. Mark, you just gave a bunch of different ways. For those of you listening out there, you want to quit your job. It is the W2 Prison Break Show. So that's why you're listening to the show. We talked about a potential way to pay your mortgage off, how to buy real estate, how to pay off your student loan debt. I mean, this can be used for so much more. And I would encourage you to get in touch with Mark to learn more. Because again, he helped me with my policies, he helped me with my family's policies, several people that I know. And this is something that, you know, you're not going to learn at all in a 35-minute podcast. So Mark, how do the listeners get in touch with you? What's the best way for them to do that? Well, thank you. And it's been a pleasure getting to work with you and your family and a lot of your colleagues. It's really the best job. I've, I mean, I love the work I get to do. You know, it's the best job I suppose I've ever had. It's the best career I could have been given. So thank you for this opportunity to speak to your crew. The best website would be go to kickstartwithmark.com. That's kickstartwithmark with a K.com. And we can look over your numbers, see if this would be a good fit for you and see what, you know, the details of your situation and see if it's a good fit or not. That's kickstartwithmark.com. Excellent. That'll definitely be in the show notes, folks. That's easy to remember and it rhymes. I mean, you know, this just continues to get better and better as we, <laughs> we go through the episode. I'm not smart enough to figure those things out. I have a team that helped put all those things together, man. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm thinking about Halloween candy. So I don't know that's if there's right. in the house, but Mark, awesome. It's great to have you back on. You will yeah, definitely you. be back on the show. This is super important stuff to talk about, educating the audience, what this is all about. So they can leave that W-2. Any final thoughts, anything I didn't ask you that you wanted to share before we wrap it up? I think the best thing you can do is just ask yourself, do I want to be just a tennis ball floating down the gutter of life? Or do I want to be more intentional with my life, give myself the capacity to control the dials and the knobs on my fishbowl, so to speak, to control the environment where your money lives? You got to control the banking function. That'll be really what determines success or failure, more so certainly than your index funds in your 401k or anything like that. So definitely guys, give Brian all the kudos, all the five-star reviews, make sure that he knows that you're listening. It makes a big difference when folks are responding and alerting the host like Brian that you guys love the show. So make sure to give him those thumbs up and five-star reviews. Absolutely. And don't forget, Mark has a podcast. I've been on it, the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. So we forgot to talk about that as well, where you talk about all of this and more. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Not your average financial podcast. Appreciate it. Super. All right, everyone. Make it a great day, Mark. Thanks again. Thank you. Wow. Brian here. Hope you enjoyed that one. There's a reason I brought him on for a second time and he will absolutely be on again. So I want you to take advantage of the opportunity to speak with Mark and go talk to him 
about what your potential opportunity is with your money, whether you have it in a retirement account or whether you heard the story about the inheritance or you have money lying around or you simply, you don't have to necessarily have money and you could buy one of these policies without, you can just start one. There's so many different ways that you can create this vehicle, if you will, and use it to your advantage if you got time on your side, if you're willing to be patient, as Mark said. So please get in touch with Mark. And as he mentioned, if you found this to be helpful, if you know anyone who's in a similar situation, please share the episode with them. Thanks so much for tuning in.